What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Monday, March 16th. And again, I know this episode is going up a little bit later than what I anticipated, but alas, we are here, we are alive, and we are going to begin the first of a five-part discussion about year one of the Vegas Golden Knights, all leading up to Friday's conclusion that is the Stanley Cup Final against the Washington Capitals. Welcome back, everybody. How you doing? Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you're having as good of a Monday as you can. If you're working from home, fantastic. Uh, I hope you're working from home, and I hope that you are keeping yourself sane, if you are. If if you're having other hardships right now, my thoughts are with you. And if you're going through any sort of anything, uh, hope that this can be of some solace to you, as I hope I try to do every single day that I try to do this podcast. So, welcome back, everybody. How are you doing? My name is Danny Webster. I am your host, and I do appreciate you stopping by for today's episode, in which today's first parter will be reliving the expansion draft that was held nearly three years ago. It is crazy to believe that we are three months away for being three years deep into this expansion draft. It's also crazy to think that a lot of those players are no longer on this team, but alas, we have stories to tell. Uh, before I dive into that, usually I'll keep you guys on the way. You guys know the deal by now, unless you're listening to this podcast for the first time. In that case, welcome to you. This is a daily podcast talking about the Vegas Golden Knights here on the Locked On Podcast Network, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you consume your podcasting. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. Or if you like sending emails, LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com is the place to do that. So when I thought about doing this five-part series thing, the initial plan for me, at least, was to kind of give you guys a viewpoint from my lens. You know, you've heard all the stories before about how of what the Golden Knights did in year one. And to, to, to many, to me, it was still one of the greatest things I've ever witnessed. You know, covering that team for basically a full 82 games, you know, mainly all 41 at home. You really kind of, after it's all said and done, you kind of sit back and go, man, did I really just do that? Like, it, And it was absolutely insane. Um, so let me kind of give you a little rundown as to how I how I came about to this because you know I again I've been very fortunate to have been doing what I'm doing for the last three years and none of it has been taken for granted under any stretch but it started out in 2017 about a couple months before a couple months before the expansion draft and um, I was working at the Review Journal at the time and I also did some some work on the weekends at times in the sports department, you know, and even though it was for only a couple months, I always kept, you know, bugging the sports desk and I was like, is there anything ever open for me? And they said at the time, not really because they had their own guys. And I, and I completely understood the situation. Like you have your own guys, you do what you got to do. And I always said, well, if there's anything comes up in terms of freelancing or whatnot, please let me know. I'd love to help out. Um, you know, in, in, in hindsight, that opportunity never came. 
And about March or April, I decided to apply to SB Nation because they had an opening for the site manager spot for the blog that was not yet named (laughs) to cover the Golden Knights. And at the time, when I thought about it, I know it seems kind of silly now, but at the time, I didn't think that, you know, working for a blog and making less than four figures a month was going to interfere with my duties at the RJ. Because you talk to a lot of people now who work at SB Nation, they have, uh, they, they really work second, third jobs, you know, because they know that the money is not great there. But I made such a big deal about it because I posted on Facebook. I was so excited. The interview happened and got the okay and got the clearance. And I was so, so super excited. Well, the powers that be didn't really like that because they thought it would be competition. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, and, I, and I've talked with people about it before. I've never really been a fan of thinking that what I did at the time with SB Nation was in any way competition to what the RJ was trying to do. And I really didn't care for that. So eventually I made the decision to move on from the RJ and go with Knights on Ice. And at the time I was working a, a side job at a, uh, at a heating and air conditioning company that my mom was managing at the time and was able to do that and to do Knights on Ice at the same time. It was fantastic. Now, the couple weeks leading up to the expansion draft, again, I was pretty much the new guy on the block, right? I didn't really... I'm coming into this a couple weeks before the expansion draft, but at the same time, I'm coming into this where guys and girls have been reporting on this team since, you know, at, at the least six months prior, or even maybe a year prior. So a lot of these people already know the ins and outs of what's happening. They already know what's, you know, what the uh, lowdown is for the Golden Knights before they even had a roster. So I'm basically coming in blind, in a sense. Um, You know, we did, I was able to get to the first few press conferences with George McPhee when he was discussing what the plan was for the expansion draft. You know, in the times leading up to it, there were deals that were being reported um, that the Golden Knights were acquiring draft picks, that they were acquiring assets in order to take certain players so that teams could not uh, leave the players that they would leave uh, unprotected um, available to the Golden Knights. So I, I did kind of get caught up to speed in terms of how that in terms of how that uh, in, in terms of how that happened. So we get to the expansion draft, 2017, June 21st, 2017, and could not get a credential in time because by the time that I got hired and by the time we launched the site, it was well too late in the process to get anything done. So basically it was doing the next best thing, which was just me and my phone and sitting in the nosebleeds uh, from (laughs) watching the expansion draft and the NHL awards unfold in real time. And to me, that was very interesting because you could have it one way where you're sitting in the, uh, when you're sitting in the press area and I've done it now for the last, what, two years now covering the NHL awards It's basically the same thing. You would be in a press area covering the awards and then, you know, off the side, they would have the expansion draft picks, which, um, you know, it is what it is, and you you don't get as you don't get the overall excitement of the expansion draft if you're in a press area. You know what I mean. You want to be around the people 
you want to be around the you want to be around the audience basically and to me that i thought was the best part was being able to sit up near the upper deck and basically watch this team be assembled and see how the how the fans interacted how pretty much everybody got excited to see how this would turn about and it was just exciting to see like every name comes off the board and it started you know oddly enough with a guy like Calvin Pickard who nobody really knew who in the world Calvin Pickard was but he was a young goaltender with some promise and he was the first pick off the board because Colorado Avalanche again were one of the worst teams in the league at the time so Vegas goes out gets Calvin Pickard and keep in mind I think that at the what was it seven I can't remember exactly how many what the numbers were in terms of forwards, defensemen, and goalies. I know you had to take three goalies, so Calvin Pickard immediately goes off the board. Then you go to Lucas Pisa, Timu Polkinen, John Merrill, William Carrier, Cody Eakin, Tomas Nosek, Jonathan Marshall, and Braden McNabb. Now, clearly, having us all watched this team for the last three years, we know who we know who those guys are. Especially seven of those guys were playing in a Stanley Cup final in year one. But a couple things stood out to me here. Number one, Cody Eakin was the Dallas Stars pick. I've talked before about how the Dallas Stars were my favorite team before I started covering hockey. And I thought Cody Eakin was always someone that would always play well in the playoffs if given the opportunity. And because he was always someone who stepped up big for Dallas in the playoffs when, you know, when the times presented themselves. The other one that got, you know, lost in the shuffle for me was the Florida Panthers basically giving Jonathan Marshall and Riley Smith away. Now, I know, you know, we're three years in now. We've made numerous jokes about Dale Talon and everybody within the Panthers organization wondering how in the world could you give up Jonathan Marshall and Riley Smith for a fourth round pick in next year's draft. To me, that was the most bizarre thing. And, and again, there was a night of bizarre things, really, when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know... Here's a 30-goal score, right? We're going to leave him unprotected. We're going to leave the 30-goal score unprotected. We're also going to give you a 200-foot really good player at the time, not a star, not a superstar, a very good player in Riley Smith. If you give us a fourth-round pick, we will give you these two guys, and you can build your team around these two. Okay, sure, why not, Vegas said, and all it took was a 2018 fourth-round pick, so it wasn't even this upcoming draft. It was the next draft, which, I mean, I'm not even sure who Florida used with that draft pick. So, okay, there you go. There's your two top-line players right there, probably next to James Neal, who everybody assumed at the time was going to go to Vegas because... James Neal in the final year of his deal. He's a veteran guy. He's scored 40 goals in the league before. He would be a perfect guy to throw on there and be the uh, be the elder skating spokesman of the Golden Knights, right? Then you go to the next batch, which was like the next seven. I remember putting it in sections of like seven or eight per player. Uh, the next seven... Connor Brickley, Chris Thorburn, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, Jason Garrison, the god, J.F. Barube, there's James Neal, 
and of course, Derek Anglin. Now, James Neal, of course, we all know from just even watching the reports, Neal was going to be selected by the Golden Knights. Um, There was no way that I think Vegas was going to give up the opportunity to pass on a guy that, yeah, he was in the expiring, he was in the final year of his deal. I think he was carrying a cap hit of like five million or somewhere around there. And just you knew that it would make a lot of sense because you needed a veteran guy who at the time, when you looked at the way that this team was constructed, you also had to figure out how you were going to find the correct or the not the correct would be the wrong term, but the right mix of guys that you could eventually put with Vadim Shipashev. Because if you remember, Vadim Shipashev already signed his contract and the whole point was basically he was going to be your top line center. Vadim Shipshev was going to be your top line center going into next year. And again, we at the time, we didn't take into account smaller rink. We didn't take into account of better conditioning. We didn't take into account just how much of an adjustment period Shipashev would have needed to actually make this transition. So before then, before any of us is like, okay, well, now we're putting the team together around Shipashev, and right now you got James Neal and another 30-goal scorer who is on a very team-friendly deal. I think you're looking pretty darn good right now, if you ask me. So you're pretty much set. You got Riley Smith, multiple 25-goal scorer in the league. You have James Neal, who scored 40 before. You have Jonathan Marshall, who scored 30. And you have Vadim Shipshev, who was one of the best players in the KHL at the time. You've got an offense that's starting to look pretty darn solid. Now, what you do with the rest of the middle six and the bottom six is completely up to imagination, as we would see going forward. Brendan Leipzig, Colin Miller, Mark Mathot, David Schlemko, David Perron, Oscar Lindbergh, Griffin Reinhardt, and Alexi Emelin. Now, again, you look at those names, and the only one that really stood out to me at that time was David Perron. So there you go. Perron, who has bounced around you know, from St. Louis to St. Louis to a bunch of other teams before, trying to find a home, gets a chance to go to Vegas and basically earn himself a new contract, which, you know, the following offseason is what he did. But Brendan Leipzig, for all the, the all the jokes we would have in year one about Brendan Leipzig, how he was, uh, how Brendan Leipzig was not scoring goals, but he was always like the little engine that could. You know what I mean? Like he was always someone who's like, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he gets saved. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And he hits the post and he hits, he's wide to the net and he's all this. And, you know, you didn't really expect much Brendan Leipzig. I mean, he looked pretty solid. I mean, the first few games when they started 3-0, and I thought that I thought he was really good. Colin Miller, you knew what he had because of his really powerful shot. You didn't really know what else you were going to get from him. But again, he was like, what, 24, maybe 25 at the time. And you had a chance to really sign him to an extension because I think he was going into the last year of his contract that year. I could be wrong. But you go get Colin Miller as a young defenseman. If you like his upside, great. If you don't, you can move on from him. David Schlemko, depth forward, maybe. Oscar Lindbergh, you know, middle six guy with the Rangers. And you thought, okay, maybe that's somebody you can plug into your third line and it would make a whole lot of sense. Um, again, Oscar Lindbergh, the the sacrificial lamb to get Mark Stone here. That how, Who would have thought in that aspect? Griffin Reinhardt, former number four overall pick, uh, complete bust. I mean, Golden Knights at that point was just like, okay, upside. 
complete upside if we can just get this guy. You know what I mean? If we can just get this guy to basically be like, okay, we will uh, we'll pretty much just you know take this guy. If he works out, great. We are looking like geniuses. If it doesn't, then crap. I guess would be the the best way to put that, right? So overall, I mean, that match, nothing really exciting other than David Perron. If you think about it, again, Brendan Leipzig, the little engine that could. And then finally, the, the batch of players that when we look back on this, we're going to be like, yeah, that's where the broke, that's where the uh, crux of the team was made. Clayton Stoner, Eric Halla, William Carlson, Trevor Ram, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Mark Andre Fleury, and Nate Schmidt, and that was your expansion draft. Clayton Stoner, we all know, was basically just the way of the Anaheim Ducks telling the Golden Knights, "Hey, we have no use for Clayton Stoner. Will you please take him off?" our hands, and in return, we will give you a very nice prospect defenseman in return who has Norris capability and can be one of the best in the league in about four or five years. And obviously, I am talking about Shea Theodore. Shea Theodore was basically a throw-in because the the Ducks were just like, okay, it was either him, Josh Manson, and I believe Sammy Votnin was also an option. But the Golden Knights, but the Ducks were like, hey, We know you probably need some help in your prospect pool. What if we give you Clayton Stoner, who has probably one of the best names in the league, and we'll give you this kid who really came on for us in the playoffs last year, and if you give him a full 82-game season, in a couple of years, he is going to be probably a top 10, top 15 defenseman. And of course, the Golden Knights were saying, all right, that works too. Shea Theodore comes comes aboard. Minnesota gives up Eric Halla, who had two years left on his deal. Or actually, he was an RFA going into it. The Golden Knights eventually signed him to a two-year deal. The Golden Knights were, at the time, eyeing in on Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba was also an unprotected player. And the, the, the Wild were like, okay, hold on. We know you want Dumba. What if we give you Eric Halla, if you take Eric Halla, and he's an RFA, so you can, you can control his rights after this year, what if we give you Eric Halla, and instead we will give you this prospect who is a really big power forward who can really be a force in the league if he stays healthy for the next four or five years? That, of course, would be Alex Tuck. And the Golden Knights were like, okay, we need more, we need more uh, people in the prospect pool. Let's uh, bring on Alex Tuck for a third-round pick. Now, unfortunately, uh, Eric Halla is now in Florida. <laughs> I almost said Carolina again. So that did not last, and obviously the knee injury did not help his cause either. And Alex Tuck has been injured for the last couple of years. So at least right now, it looks like Minnesota may have won that trade. You know, time will tell. The Columbus Blue Jackets... I don't remember exactly who was who they were targeting. I think it might have been a goalie, and I think it might have been Junis Corposalo. I'd have to go back and look because it again, I it's all a blur to me, right? <laughs> I think the goalie they were I think they were eyeing a goalie, and I think it was Junis Corposalo. The Columbus Blue Jackets said, okay, we don't we want to hold on to Corposalo, which smart move by Columbus eventually. So 
if you will please take William Carlson from our hands, William Carlson, really at this point, a bottom six guy who had bounced around between Anaheim and Columbus. We will give you this young player who could be a very good two-way guy at, at some point down the road. We're not sure exactly when that is, but again, you guys aren't going to do anything in year one. It's totally fine. We will give you a first-round pick in this upcoming draft, 2017, and a second-round pick in 2019. And also, if you do that, we'll give you these two picks if you take on the contract of David Clarkson, so that way you are closer to the cap floor. Golden Knights said, we will take all the draft picks in the world if that comes to it. So beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, then you go to Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Nothing really happened there. And then we get to Pittsburgh. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Penguins had just won the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. They are the kings of the world right now. They have won back-to-back Stanley Cups off the, off the performance of Matt Murray, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, you name it, they're there. The Penguins had to move on from Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury had a really, I thought, a strong relief performance when Matt Murray was down, I believe, what was it, a concussion in the playoffs that year? And he stepped in admirably and led them all the way to the Eastern Conference Final until he gave up like five against Ottawa, and then it was over. The Penguins were like, okay, we know you guys are going to actually need a decent goalie because no disrespect to Calvin Pickard and JF the God Barube, they are not really going to get you to where you want to go. So here, we will give you a three-time Stanley Cup winning goalie who is one of the winningest goalies of all time, and he might need a fresh start because he, for as much of a legend he is in Pittsburgh, it, there's really nothing that we can do there. And the Golden Knights said, okay. And then the Penguins said, hold on, hold on, we're not done. To show you our good faith, especially if Flurry doesn't pan out, how about we give you a second round pick? How about we give you a 2020 second round pick? To which they said, okay, <laughs> sure, why not, right? Uh, that to me, along with Florida and along with Columbus, and I didn't even mention New York. I didn't mention New York and I didn't mention Tampa Bay. I didn't mention the New York Islanders who basically told the Golden Knights, hey, we know that we have some nice players on the board. If you don't take these players, and if you take JF Barube instead, we will give you Mikhail Grabowski, who's going to retire at some point. We will give you Jake Bischoff, a 2017 first-round pick, and a 2019 second-round pick. All if you take JF the God Barube, to which the Golden Knights said, Absolutely. And then finally, I didn't even mention, mention Nate Schmidt, who was basically taken from the Capitals in that sense. And Tampa Bay, again, I didn't even mention Tampa Bay. Uh, for taking Jason Garrison, who was one of the core four to stand on the podium that night, Jason Garrison was to the Golden Knights for Nikita Gusev. Nikita Gusev. Uh, 2017 second round pick and a 2018 fourth round pick. 
the 2017 second round pick, uh, I don't not remember off the top of my head who that was for. If I had to make a guess, it probably wasn't Nick Haig, for all I know. Um, but there you go. There's your roster. There's your roster. And you could have named me about, again, four, maybe five players out there that would be like, okay, at least it's solid up front. Whatever you do below it, figure it out. Right. Like, I don't think anybody thought at this point, you'd be like, okay, William Carrier, he might be a nice player. Uh, Tomas Nosek, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar, uh, he's French and he's in his early 30s. And who knows what you're going to get from him? Uh, and you knew that the Golden Knights were eventually going to trade some of these players away. Uh, Connor Brickley, Chris Thorburn. Uh, Mark Mathot was traded for Dylan Ferguson, who has a say on Conor McDavid, by the way. Uh, David Schlemko, uh, Alexi Emelin, they also traded. Trevor Van Riemsdyk, they also traded because they, uh, I believe it was down to Trevor Van Riemsdyk and Marcus Kruger, in which the Golden Knights did something with Kruger. I can't remember if the Kruger was involved in any deal off the top of my head. Um, but... Yeah, you look at the guys that were traded. Timu Polkinen stayed in the AHL. I mean, you thought he was going to get a chance to develop. Calvin Pickard was eventually traded to Toronto to clear the way for Malcolm Subban, who eventually became the backup goalie off divine intervention. And am I missing anybody? Jason Garrison was bounced up and down from Chicago to to Vegas, at least in the beginning. And uh, David Schlemko was traded as well. And yeah, Clayton Stoner just went off into the void and was never to be seen from again, who is apparently now is a, uh, is a coach now in the Golden Knights organization. So that's always fun. But yeah, there's your draft. There is the draft. And those are the players that would make the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, kind of reaction to this. First off, I remember, the thing I remember most about that night, as I kicked my chair, first, first thing I remember from that night was it was it was a lot of chaos. I thought that Darren Millard did a fantastic job hosting it. I thought the NBC crew did a great job hosting it, but it was definitely it was definitely controlled chaos. And I was you know sitting up in the leisure, making sure I got all the names right, make sure I had every single result down pat, and just watching the crowd react. And I think the first one that really drew the excitement from the crowd, I think was James Neal because everybody knew James Neal, 40 goal scorer in the league. I remember when they called James Neal's name and there was just loud ovation of, uh, just loud ovation from the fans. There were a few fans right to my left that were wearing Nashville predators jerseys. And they were very sad that James Neal was picked. But I remember talking to one of them as uh, as the picks were rolling out, and they went to commercial break, and I was talking to one of them, and I said, "I'm kind of, are you kind of surprised that James Neal left?" And he said, "No, but he was such a great com- community person. Like he was always great in the Nashville community." And I thought, "Well, that's good. I mean, you get a. That's when I kind of had the feeling that the Golden Knights were picking guys who had good character." And and that's kind of obviously that's what they've built their premise around for the last few years is building around building a roster really with good character guys and that's essentially what they did. Uh, 
Um, the next one obviously was Mark Andre Fleury and him being the second to last pick drew obviously the biggest ovation from the crowd. I remember about two rows down, there were, I want to say like five, maybe six Penguins fans. They were wearing all different jerseys. There was Crosby, it was Malkin, there were a couple Flurry jerseys. And then Flurry's name was, was mentioned by Bill Foley. And he comes out, he gets a standing ovation from the crowd. And I looked down at those, uh, those Penguins fans who started chanting his name. I don't know, I can't remember if the, the chant was like in full. But I remember just looking at them, and then the two that were wearing flurry jerseys just started crying. And then that's when you come to the realization that they got this guy who was an absolute icon in Pittsburgh. He's been there his entire career, and all of a sudden now he's got to get up and change teams. And you just you just felt by watching the fans of these teams that weren't Golden Knights fans, but they were fans of other teams, but they were so supportive of the players that came before them. You know, Capitals fans, I know, were very upset. I looked over, it was about where I was, about a, about a good section over. There were about five or six Capitals fans, and they were, you know, giving a standing ovation the minute that Nate Schmidt's name was mentioned. Um, I remember Philadelphia Flyers fans were laughing at the thought of Pierre-Edouard Belmar being selected by the Golden Knights, because Belmar really didn't do much when he was in Philly. It was basically a combination of guys who you think can contribute, guys you know what they're capable of, and a whole bunch of what. That was basically it. And, you know, you come back through the draft and you come back and you listen to the feedback in. And the one thing that always irked me when people were talking about the expansion draft, oh, the Golden Knights benefited from the best rules in expansion draft history. I just read you this this roster. This roster should not have even sniffed 20 wins. I don't care who you have in goal. I don't care who you have as your 25-30 goal scorer. This roster should not have even come close to 20-25 wins. They should have been, by all accounts, the worst team in the National Hockey League. You can't sit there and tell me that when you look at how this team was constructed, that this team would go on to win 50 games. Because no one in their right mind thought that way. Sure, the Golden Knights absolutely benefited from getting three first-round picks in the upcoming draft. The 13th pick that they got from Columbus which would turn out to be uh, Nick Suzuki, and then the 15th pick that they got from the Islanders, which would turn out to be uh, Eric Brandstrom, along with your own sixth overall pick, which ended up being Cody Glass. They also benefited greatly by having an early second-round pick in which they got Nick Hague. So through the amateur draft, you could say they absolutely benefited greatly from that. But you can't sit there and tell me that through this draft, through this collection of players, that the Golden Knights benefited from anything because everybody, everybody had this team at the bottom of the barrel, including myself. Including myself. There was no way I thought this team was even going to sniff 25 wins. No one did. Absolutely no one did. But the Golden Knights 
were able to maneuver as best they could to obtain draft capital. They obtained draft capital, which they used on their own and eventually would take that capital and move it to somewhere else, i.e. that 15th overall pick that would be for Eric Brandstrom to package him and another selection in this draft, Oscar Lindbergh, to Ottawa for Mark Stone. Also, i.e. the 13th overall pick, that would be Nick Suzuki, along with eventually Tomas Tatar, who I will be talking about on Wednesday, how that almost came to be to end up getting Max Pacioretty. And of course, the 2020 second round pick from the Penguins that was used or that was given to Vegas for Marc-Andre Fleury, Vegas turned that pick into getting Robin Leonard. We could go down the entire board and get to what these picks turned into, and I'm pretty sure like toward the tail end we will go through that. But you cannot sit there and tell me that you looked at this roster back on June 21st, 2017, and thought, you know what, this team is going to make the playoffs. Because I didn't know who in the world William Carlson was at the time. All I knew, he was a second-round pick, but he wasn't playing like a second-round pick. Eric Halla? Okay. Nate Schmidt? Eh. Clayton Stoner is not going to be around on this team much longer. The only reason he got him was for Shea Theodore, and he's likely going to be in the AHL all year. So was Alex Tuck. You basically were hoping that when you got into opening night against the Dallas Stars, your hope was that it was going to be Shipashev, Neal, maybe Marshall Soul, or maybe Smith, and then a whole collection of just meh. Whole collection of meh. So when people tell me that, or when people say it all, that the Golden Knights benefited from the greatest draft rules in history, I just laugh. Because there is no way that anybody thought under any circumstance that this team was going to be what it was going to become and what management was able to do with the assets that it had obtained. Because if the Golden Knights don't do what they do in year one, there is no Mark Stone. There is no Max Pacioretty. You know, there may, there probably isn't a Robin Leonard. You know, there, there, there isn't any of these guys. The Golden Knights could have easily been completely crap in year one and obtain and keep, you know, using those draft assets. And eventually in year three or year four, we'd be seeing Glass, Suzuki, and Brandstrom all on the team at the same time. Could have easily been that way. But then they defied all logic after year one or during year one. And. Part of that is also, in whether by hook or by crook, is also entrenched in what happened less than four months later before the Golden Knights played their first NHL game. Which is where we will pick up next time, and that's where we will stop off here. So tomorrow will be part two. It will be talking about the preseason, and it will eventually go into... October 1, and we'll go into the first few games in the Vegas Golden Knights era. So that will do it for me today. I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane with the expansion draft. I also, actually, before you know I get out of here, 
I did ask on Twitter, you know, I was that I was going to talk about this and I just wanted to know what you guys thought just because I wanted to, uh, I basically wanted to go in to be like, Hey, what things did you remember most from the expansion? And I want to make sure I got those. I got those, um, those thoughts in here. Um, Kyle Demetrius who hosts locked on sharks. They took 800 D men for some reason. Well, yeah, you're not wrong about there. Um, Eli at Eli VGK bolts say Columbus giving us a first round pick and William freaking Carlson and Florida giving us Marchie and Riley Smith for basically nothing. Yeah, that was pretty much it. But again, the whole thing about William Carlson, I don't think a lot of people thought that William Carlson was going to be what he, what he would become. You know, William Carlson right now could be a Selkie finalist in a couple of years. Um, I don't think anybody anticipated that, but getting the first round pick from Columbus definitely did not help. Uh, Carol says the excitement and being in T-Mobile for these selections and wondering who in the heck these players were, except Larry, Neil, and Egan, basically my thoughts exactly. And uh, Heather said the look on Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby's faces if Flurry was announced. That was also very, very rich. Um, so yeah, that will be where we stop it today. Tomorrow we go into part two where I talk a little bit about the preseason um, a little bit about, about October 1 and kind of the resounding effects after that and then some of the first games and we'll have a fun time doing that. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed this part one and get ready for part two tomorrow. So thank you guys. I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a good one. <laughs>